0: how many of you here in this room uh, speak more, can speak more than one language okay even just a little bit okay okay um, if you if you have that ability or even if you've studied a, a, a different language in school perhaps you you have found out that there are some wonderful words in other languages that describe things that you've experienced that do not have an equivalent in english and and it really is a rich study when you discover some of these words some, some examples have you ever been at home and i don't know if this is a guy thing but it certainly happened to me where you're, you're trying to fix something but the more you try and fix it the worse it gets the worse it gets worse 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 well, the Germans have a word for that. They have a specific word when you experience that. Or when you, you get a panicky feeling in a social setting, when you realize you, ha- you, you have to introduce somebody to someone else, and you've forgotten their name. The Scots have a name for that. When you feel that, that panicky feeling. There's a, maybe this is another guy thing too, when when you just kind of stare off into the distance and you don't think about anything at all? There's a Japanese word just for that. There's a Japanese word just for that. There's a Filipino word for the urge to pinch or, or squeeze something that's irresistibly cute. Maybe you have an aunt who loves to do that. Well, there's a Filipino word just for that. There's a Swahili word for the day before yesterday. And so instead of saying the day before yesterday, in Swahili, you just have one word for that. Has someone ever hit you with a a, a smart remark and you think of a great comeback about an hour later? The French have a word just for that. Literally, it means stairwell wit. Probably by the time you think of a great comeback, you're already in the stairwell someplace. Perhaps, however, perhaps one of the most endearing words that describes something that we've all experienced but we don't have a, an English equivalent, it, it, it describes, the, it describes the following. You've just had a wonderful leisurely meal with people you care about, maybe with family or with some close friends. Maybe it's a maybe it was a nice leisurely brunch at, at someone's home, or or maybe maybe it's around a, a wonderful meal uh, around a campfire and and you're you're camping with some others that you care about. But then after the meal, after the meal, no one's in a hurry. They just kind of hang out and they visit and they tell stories and they laugh, sometimes they laugh until they cry, they're laughing so hard, and they open up to meet each other. I am told that there is a Spanish word for that, and I apologize with my, uh, with my Minnesota accent, this is going to sound awful, but I'm told that the word is sobremesa, sobremesa. Well, brothers and sisters, it, it's not hard to imagine that throughout Jesus' three-year ministry he and his disciples enjoyed some opportunities for Sobra Mesa. The time after a meal for visiting and laughing and swapping stories, opening up to each other. And one of the stories that must have come up again and again what was the time near the, near the beginning of Jesus' three-year ministry. The, the time when Jesus told Peter to let down his net in deep water after Peter and the other disciples had been fishing all night and they had not caught one single fish. And as soon as Peter and the other disciples with him let down the net into deep water, pure pandemonium broke out. Before these... Sleepy fishermen knew that the nets were, were so full of fish that the nets began to break. And then when they hauled the fish into the boats, the boats were so full that the boats actually began to sink. It's not hard to imagine watching one of the disciples tell that story around a campfire, backed up by good-natured laughter, And it's also not hard to imagine Jesus and his disciples exchanging looks with each other during that story. Looks and nods and knowing smiles. After all, that's typically what what happens when, when, when people bond over a shared experience. Well, all that is background now for the, for the Word of God before us. Here's the setting. Jesus has risen from the dead. By this time, he has appeared and, and interacted with his followers several times. Jesus has told his disciples that he will meet up with them in Galilee. And so his disciples have, have traveled from Jerusalem and they've gone north into the north country of Galilee. And as they wait for them, Peter, who is a fisherman by trade, while he's waiting, he he says, I'm going to go fishing. And several of the other disciples say, we'll go with you. And so out they go on the Sea of Tiberias, or as you and I know it a little bit better, the Sea of Galilee. And they're out all night, and they catch nothing morning arrives about a hundred yards away about the length of a football field they they see a man standing on the shore but they can't make out who he is now according to to john's new testament greek wording of the word of god before us that the man calls out in a in a friendly tone and he says something like this he says boys you have any fish no they answer back well then the man says cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some and they do and when they do something familiar happens pure pandemonium their net now is bulging with fish. In fact, they have so many fish that they cannot, they cannot even pull it into the boat. John, who's with Peter, catches on first, and John turns to Peter and says, it's the Lord. When Peter hears this, he grabs his outer cloak, he jumps into the water, works his way toward shore, and the rest follow in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they arrive, wonderful breakfast smells are waiting. Jesus has prepared breakfast. Fish and fresh bread on on a charcoal fire. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus says well peter in his eagerness and probably with a big surge of adrenaline is so excited that he he pulls the net ashore 153 large fish now why the specific number sometimes people get all caught up in that saying what's the significance of the number well who fishes here who, who loves to fish okay you know what when you catch fish you're going to count how many fish you caught well these fishermen and John too, he wanted to know exactly how many they had. They had 153. Come and have breakfast, Jesus says. And as he says this, as he says this, Jesus does something that is easy for us to overlook. Not only does Jesus say, come and have breakfast, he then takes some of the fish and some of the fresh bread and he serves it to them for the disciples to enjoy. And so there they are, Jesus and several of his disciples, basking in a shared experience that's a throwback to a crazy but true fish story that took place near the very start of Jesus' ministry three years earlier. And as they all enjoy breakfast, our camera, our camera on this particular episode fades to black. What what truths do we draw from this poignant moment that the Holy Spirit moved John to record? We can draw many. Here are two. Truth number one, during this morning breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with the wonderful smells of grilled fish and freshly baked bread, the disciples understand that the risen and glorious Christ, the almighty Son of God, is also still the same Jesus. The one with whom they have bonded over a shared experience over these past years. And truth number two, this resurrected Christ, this glorious Christ, the almighty Son of God, is still intent on looking out for them. His heart of care and love for them is just the same. After all, look at, look at him. He, the Almighty Son of God is serving them breakfast. Brothers and sisters, the Almighty Son of God chose to become one of us because we needed him to. He chose to come here to be our substitute because we needed him to. He chose to come here to, to live a holy life in our place, the, the, the holy life you and I have failed to live because we needed him to. He chose to, to wash our every sin away, our, our every failure through his suffering and death on the cross because you and I needed him to. And he chose to raise himself back from the dead to assure us that he has kept for us everything that he has promised, because you and I needed that assurance from him also. And now he lives, risen and ascended, ruling all things. But as he does, we remember... That he is the same Jesus. The same one who understands what it means to walk through a broken world of grief and pain. We also remember that his zeal to sit by our side and to guide everything in your life and mine for our good and to watch out for our needs and to be our dearest friend, that zeal is stronger than ever. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen. Please stand.